you have to do it. Being brave, following your dream, I learned that. But also learning how to step back, not just forward. By the time we opened the factory, there comes a moment where we were having a hard time and we decided to step back and close the factory. And there was a decision to keep moving forward. I learned this too through my parents and I use this lesson in my life. Sometimes I go forward, be aggressive on my investment, but there are times when I like to pause and reassess investment so that I could regain energy, regain momentum or get my foot in back. So being able to be adaptable and being able to know when to move ahead, stop and take a step back is also a lesson I learned from my father or my experience yeah. of growing up. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Ao, venture capitalist, Sierra founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you a business owner CFO or engineering lead who's tired of grappling with outdated finance processes? Are you frustrated at the high costs of card payments or find yourself bogged down by manual financial tasks? It's time for a change. Meet Acme Technology. Our software enables you to connect directly with your bank of choice to automate all of your finance and payments processes. Enjoy real-time reconciliation and direct-to-bank payments and payouts. No lengthy integration. Transform your banking experience into a Stripe-like experience, all with easy integration through streamlined APIs. Learn more at www.tryacme.com. Hey, Bernard. Really great to have you on the show to hear a little bit about your journey. How's life for you? I'm okay now. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? There are three things about me. I'm a businessman. I'm an angel investor. And I've experienced some stuff about being wrongfully accused and I've gone through that journey and hopefully I can share to people my experience about it. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Could you share a little bit about what you were like as a kid? Were you introverted, extrovert? Were you a gamer? I grew up in a close family system. Means we are in one house. My grandfather, my father's brother's family are in one floor. I was learning the life, how they talk, and exposed to realities of adulthood when I was young. So I could see my uncle and auntie sometimes arguing, my father and mother talking about business when I was young. So I was exposed as an early age. And we have a family business called World Balance. It's the biggest local shoe brand in Philippines. I was taught to go to the store, look about the sales, check the inventory, know the system, collect money, check the customer, talk to the customer. So I was trained when I was young. And we have a busy life because maintaining a family business is like a full-time effort also. And you need hands to be Big, which is right now we're the number one shoe brand in our country, Philippines. From there, my training of sales started also. Mm. So it was my father who guided me and told me that I have to read so I can talk to people on what I know and I could share to people what I know and they'll be interested to communicate with me and then I could open up sales also with them. So that's what I did when I was young. I read magazine, encyclopedia, anything mm. that I could get my hands to so that when I talk to my uncle, to the clients, I could share something. It's normally people who you develop 
who like you and who you like, those are the people you make sales. So upon having those conversations, I kind of learned from them too, from their questions. That's how I grew up, talking to a lot of different people. And I study electronics communication engineering in De La Salle University. It's a good university in Manila. And so I developed to study problem solving, how to analyze things, check it per component. That was my training too. And I use that also in my business and how to analyze business. You shared that you learned a lot from your parents and family. Could you share some of the lessons that you learned? Hard work, that's one. And sometimes people will misunderstand you because you make decisions and there are certain decisions that for long term, for example, opening a factory for certain areas that because it's going to be voted by the board and sometimes you will hear conversations that it's not yet the right time. When is the right time, right? You have to do it. So being brave, following your dream, I learned that. But also learning how to step back, not just forward. Because by the time we opened the factory, there comes a moment in time where we were having a hard time. And we decided to step back and close the factory. And there was a decision to keep moving forward. But sometimes in life, you also know when to stop and when to move yeah. backward also to recruit. Right. So I learned this too through my parents. And I use this lesson also in my life. Sometimes I go forward, be aggressive on my investment. But there are sometimes that when the time is hard, I like to pause and reassess and sometimes I like to personal hibernate in investment yeah. so that I could regain energy and regain momentum or get my foot in back. So being able to be adaptable and being able to know when to move ahead stop and take a step back is also a lesson I learned from my father or my experience yeah. also growing up. Amazing. And it's interesting because you went off and graduated from university. Could you share a little bit more about what you decided to do next? Well, I did a lot of investing in Manila and also outside Manila. So I had an animation studio. I put money on Tim Horton coffee brand in mm. Philippines. That's a Canadian brand coffee. I put money also in our own business, World Balance, and it's the biggest retail shoe store in Manila. I put money on platform business too, like Easy Franchise. So we make franchising as a service and we manage the franchising and we give the proper share to the shareholders. And there's some food and beverage restaurant also that I put money in. So in Manila, I've done that. When I visited in the United States, I feel like there's a lot of good opportunity here. And the upside is really high because the land is big, the opportunity is great, and people here are more exposed to developing superior business. So I like to develop businesses here in the United States. That's what I'm doing here. It's one of yeah. my passion. And I put up a coffee shop Mendo Coffee, and I'm making a platform business here in USA. But that one, I can talk about in December, January, when it launched. And I put up a education foundation also because I like teaching. In Manila, before every Sunday, I would sit on a coffee shop and people would just go there and ask me questions and I would just share and solve their problems. Here, I guess, same thing when I opened my coffee shop in Silver Lake. I would be there every Sunday and people can just go there, ask me questions yeah. if they want. To. The question I have is that, you know, you're building all these like franchises and businesses. What were some learnings that you had from building these businesses? Because it's not common to build a franchise business, right? A lot of people want to start up, other things. Lesson I think I could share to people yeah. and it's kind of like a shortcut, but it's good if you know. It's the who person rather than the how person. You got to get the team. You got to get people who have done it to be on your side, to be on your corner and do the journey with you. That's very important. You can study stuff, of course. It's easier and safer if you're doing it with someone who has done it 
and decided to do the journey with them. So that's a good suggestion. So if you're planning to do something, if you got someone who knows how to do it, then you have higher chance to be successful. And people who are listening also, a lot of people have done stuff. You just have to talk to them and invite them to your journey. And if you can get them onboarded to your journey, that's a good way of ensuring a higher chance of success rate of what you're doing. How did you learn that lesson in your business career? I realized that there are people who have experience as an employee and who decided to make their own business. So when they talk to me, they say, okay, would you fund this? Then this is what I know. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I do. And I have a high success rate of supporting these people who have done it, people who are in their industry and decided to start their own. They have a high success rate rather than people who just thought, oh, I think I want to do this, but they don't have an experience. It's going to be a long journey for them. I support them too. There are some people that I support because I see they're young and they're passionate. And if they decide that then I can trust them to grow with me, I support them too. But that's a long journey for them. It's not easy. But those people who have done it and I support them, two, three years, it's self-sufficient. It's successful because from day one, they know the right step to do. I'm an angel investor. I plant people. I plant a lot of businesses. So I continue getting in touch with them, yeah. talking to them, researching them, helping them. And as you read more, as you learn more, there would become insight that you kind of know. As an example, like I've been to a platform business right. for a token that was used in the mainstream in usage. And there's like in US people who are in blockchain business and NFTs. And they talk to me about a beer that has an NFT or the merchandising. And I said the transaction per second would not hold up to a full countrywide implementation. And the founder, the owner thought about what I said. And he said, I was right. It's not ready for a full country implementation because the transaction per second cannot be that many. So at least they know how to pivot. There's another investor also pitching me for a sports app. It has something to do with basketball, NFL, stadium stuff here in the USA. And I told them, if you want to go to mainstream market, you have to have a cell phone app. It cannot be a web-based. And they like it. These are small stuff that I learned and I teach. And I told them, yeah, if you have a business plan, ask me. I could tell what I know for free. You don't need to pay me. I just sit in, talk about it, and I can give my feedback because that's what I do. I learn, I teach, and I share also what I know or what my experience, what I know. So that's what I told them. I told them, make a phone app first. That way you can be accessible to the user using the phone. Then you can grow big. If it's a web-based only, it's not going to be mainstream. That's what I told them. What's interesting is that you've also built out this reputation in the esports side as well. Could you talk about how you got into it? Oh, I like playing games and they're fun games. And I realized that when the time Street Fighter were famous and they were being watched when two sides fight, a community was born. Anytime a community was born, it's accepted. There's a chance that it would go mainstream. So when Dota was being famous, the 5 on 5 player, computer and the shooting games, it became mainstream because there's a community. There's a players that are fan of it. And then I decided that these people can be esports star like sports star. And it helped them also because there are lessons there as a team. How you lead, how you manage your team, how you plan, and 
how you also have to recoup when you need to recoup because you're fighting and you can't be winning always. So sometimes you have to manage resources, manage time. There's a lot of lessons there. So when I thought of supporting them, then that's how I started the brand esports team. And then the community also was there. They opened an organization. We made tournament. And I, I think it's a blessing from the universe or from the Lord that we won the M2 League of Legends World Champion. And we were competing with different countries. And I'm so proud that I gave Philippines a world champion title in esports. So that's an achievement. And I like helping kids too. Instead of just randomly playing when they're in our team before, I could teach them that this is the right way to manage a team. This is the basic foundation for making sure to attack something, to enter in a combat. So they're learning adult stuff when they were young and they can use it as they grow older or just as they encounter real life challenges. So I find happiness in teaching them good and proper stuff. What games do you personally play? I seldom play oh, right now because in this journey now we're in USA, I am focused on building right. my business here. So I connect, I read books, I have to study because when I talk to people, I have to really update myself on stuff and there's a lot happening here in USA. But I do play the game Civilization VI before in the Steam and I do play Dota sometimes when I have time. And be the king and lords mobile but those are mobile yeah. game and now i just look at them sometimes clash royale i play also yeah. hearthstone i played yeah. diablo yeah. diablo 3 i played but to see where the game is i study how they hook the players yeah. and the in-app purchases because the platform i'm making in usa also has something to do with customer retention right. so i study the game also yeah. and i see how they use psychology of buy one buy two get one free and just to make sure that I'm in line to what's happening. Let's talk about that, right? Because there's a lot of game design that's happening. Um, you know, I used to play as well. You know, StarCraft, Counter-Strike, yeah, yeah. Overwatch more recently. I also play some of the VR games as well. Jimmy also like Tabletop as well. Uh, a bit of poker as well. It's interesting because all these games, I was at the Dota, you know, the Blizzard competitions recently. One was big, one was in Singapore. I thought it was just interesting just to watch. Uh, and I was just watching this whole stadium full of esports fans. I was like, told my best friend, I said, hey, we made it, right? We became cool over the past uh, 20 years because it's like you know, 10,000 folks cheering yes. uh, our Dota teams as well. I was just kind of curious, what, what do you think has transitioned from why, you know, was this a computer game and now how did it become esports? Well, again, there's a following and a community and it became mainstream. One thing I can talk about this is because our population is hitting, it's like our lifespan is being long because we're getting healthy and there's so people and we're getting niche market now. So some are famous in basketball, some are famous in baseball, football, but there's still a lot of people and they want to be famous too. That's why kickboxing was developed and also in games. I mean, the athlete, they're superior in physique, but there's also people who has to be famous, but in their mind, for example, chess. So it was a niche. And now the kids also want to be famous. So there's like YouTuber, TikTokers. So we're becoming a niche and we will have a following or community in niche places. So like ice skating, hockey, baseball, we would become a society of many niches and they have their own community. And it's going to be like that. That's just like the normal trend when the population of our civilization is growing. That's normal. What's interesting is that you've also set out to build those communities as well as the tournaments, right? Can you share a little bit more yes. about how you go about building? Well, example in sports, NBA, there's a game 
And then there's a newscaster, they write about it. But that was very old, so it's been developed. When you're a fan of esports and nobody's writing about it, and of course you love it. So you like to have someone who's writing it. No, nobody's doing it. Then you'll write, all right, let us write the news about it. So in Manila, I, I'm part with the company Mineski, yeah. and it's the number one esports company in Philippines where a publisher will want to put their game out in Philippines. They got to talk to Mineski. And from there, we make the right articles, we make the write-up, we make the events, we make the venue, and we make the plan too for them to be engaged right. with the people. So nobody was doing it. That's why we did it. And that's the right way to do it because you have to record it, you have to video it, you have to write about it, you have to talk about it. And it so happened that there was a niche that we can enter and we took advantage of it because nobody was doing it. So that's just how it is. What are some myths or misconceptions about you know, building a niche? Well, I think if you're going to be impatient and forcefully thinks on niche, so that's a misconception. With everything, you have to be patient. Even we supported esports. It wasn't like being famous before. It would be in a pop shop and the players are really not that famous. You're famous in your niche, like maybe you're just 50 and then you just have to be patient. And then the 50 players, the 50 communities will suddenly turn into 200, the suddenly turn into 1,000. 5,000 and then 100,000. So you have to be patient. The misconception is you can force it to grow and that's wrong. Like if you want a grassroots stuff, you're going to grassroots stuff and you got to be patient for five years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years before it will become really big. So the misconception is you can force stuff which you cannot. There's an actual time and that time must really go. What I mean is if it takes eight years, 10 years to develop an esports community, then you have to do that 10 years. I think the interesting part, of course, is that how much time you have also corresponds to like your business model, how you make money, the economics. Can you wait that long, right? So, you know, in venture capital, everyone's trying to make it done and dusted within 10 years, right? So, no, I was just kind of curious. How do you construct the economics of the business model so that you're able to be patient for the 10, 15 years for the community to grow up? Well, you can't guarantee it. Some will be successful in three years. Some will be successful very fast, 10 months. But normally, even if they become successful in 10 months, if you didn't go through the test of time, it still doesn't guarantee. Right. The real guarantee stand the test of time, which is normally a three-year, five-year mark. And with me, I wasn't really particular with getting the money recouped back because I got source of income in my businesses. Right. So I'm really observing people, how they grow, right. what they learn, and what I can teach them. If they're in the good path, automatic for sure, they will make value to the marketplace and they will get money. But that's me. Maybe I'm blessed to or able to do such thing. With VCs, I understand that they get a lot of people funding and they have a checklist to follow to make sure that the fund will go to a proper entity that was passed by the checklist, mm. but that's their thing. And they probably have an exit for just five years or seven year class. And that's a good time also to exit if they're doing properly. But the thing is, you cannot generalize stuff because some stuff needs longer time and some stuff need shorter time. With me, because I'm an angel investor, I can be patient if I need to be patient mm. because that's just my resource. So maybe I was just blessed that I could wait if I need to wait. What's interesting is that are you building community and then you got hit by this drug case, right? That came out. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what happened and how you discovered this thing happening? I really don't know that there was like that. I usually travel. I got businesses everywhere. 
I got business in Malaysia, Panama, Switzerland, Malta, Indonesia, Taiwan, and I built businesses because of friends. Because of the esports, normally they have a group chat, right? And I befriend them. And when I befriend them, I go meet with them and I build businesses with them. And then the article came out that my name was there. And because I angel invest in a lot of stuff. So it was like I own a processing company where they process shipment. And of course, I don't do that. I mean, I, I'm not a general manager because it was there in paper that I was a general manager and I don't have a payroll there. I didn't enter there and I didn't know that I was even there. I mean, if I did something, there should be one person that says, I saw you, you're there and you did it. But there's no one person there So because I really didn't did it. So it was hard because that's a serious accusation. And at first, I reacted and I even posted on my social media that it was wrong. But then again, the people who knows how to deal with this told me not, just not to keep quiet, just to let the system clear itself and just remain faithful to the system. And that's what I did. It was long, I think two years. And for two years, I can introduce myself to people. In two years, they have a bad name also with Hertz because I got kids. And then the news came out. And then, of course, my kids, their kids are proud of me, but I'm their father. When the news comes out, they say, your father's like this, your father's like that. It hurts my children. What can I do? I mean, this is like what God told me to, you have to go through this. And to go through that and maybe it's a lesson also for my children and some other good friends that maybe I was strong enough to encounter this journey that's why it was given to me and I can show to the people how I surpassed this it's really hard but I guess my children learn from it my friends learn from it so if I've been used to be an example to be strong and to be believing in the Lord Almighty that everything will be okay then it's okay that's my role and I've done it. Yeah, it's such a crazy... It's over now. Yeah, thank goodness. It's over now. I mean, it's such a crazy thing because it's a crystal meth shipment, $34 million USD intercepted at Manila International Container Port, right? And there was an arrest warrant. There was a request for you to kind of like surrender in front of the authorities. How did yes. you find out about this? Did you get like over email? Did you find out about it from friends? It's from the news because my friends don't believe it. So when they hear it, it's not true, yeah. right? But that's how the leader there's a news that come out and then the news came that called me and there was a news came out that I, I even read it before I was surprised that it was my name. I think the spelling even is wrong. Yeah. There, there was like Bernardo something. But then again, at first I overthink and I was really scared yeah. actually because it's serious and I don't do those stuff. But I know people don't want to associate with criminals. And I, I tell people who really know me, they still know me from who I am and they will talk good about me. But in media, there's a lot of people that media reaches and they will have a certain belief of what they read. So I really have to clear my name that time. And that's how when it's clear, I really have to put a write-up. I have to put interviews. I have to tell what happened to clear my name too. And our system too, if you have a bad name in the media, you can open banks it's really affected. I don't know if you know someone or have talked to someone who have experienced this. I tell you, your banking will be taken out. You cannot move. You cannot function in the system. It's really a torture to go through it. How did you feel when you found out? What, what were you doing when you found out? I remember I was at home building Lego. And then when I found out, I was scared and I got angry and a lot of phone calls and a lot of them don't have the idea. They told me a lot of stuff that aren't verified. They told me I have to fly out, I have to go to the car, hide, I have to turn off my phone. And I didn't change phone, by the way. My phone was still the same phone until now. And my email didn't change too. I didn't even cut it off. So I feel like 
I don't need to do that. And I said, if they're going to check it, that's good. I would rather not change my phone. So if they check it, then they can see everything. That everything's clear rather yeah. than me changing phone numbers. Yeah, so yeah. in my thoughts, like, no, I'm not going to change. And if they're listening, go ahead, let them listen. Yeah. Like they would say, hey, Jeremy, change your phone because then they're listening to your phone. They'll tap your phone. And I said, just great. If they check it, good. This is because I'm not there. So I never changed phone. Yeah, I think I was at home building Lego. How did your kids react to the news? My kids, of course, don't believe it yeah. because they grew with me. I know what I teach them. I spend time with them eating as they grow. So they know their father is not like that. But of course, their classmate or their friends, sometimes the parents of their friends will talk stuff like that. They will feel hurt. So some of them kept quiet. Some of them will cry. Some of them will call me and says, this is what happened. I just have to tell them, we have to be strong. Your dad is not like that. There's a system here and it will clear. It's not good experience also for the kids. Right. But then again, that's life. I mean, people experience many stuff. And it's a good thing. It's not like I've cut off my arm, not that I lose my eyesight. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world. I should be thankful maybe. That's my experience in a way because there's a lot of bad things more could have occurred. But again, if I were used because I have the strength to overcome it and then maybe just use me. But now that it's done, I hope I won't be tested like that again. I hope not. Definitely. Sounds like a yeah. huge pain. Sounds terrible as experience. Um, how did you feel during this torturous time? You were going to be angry at first. Initial reaction to anyone who've experienced it will be angry because it's something unjust. But then again, you have to believe that the system will make it right yeah. or will clear it. But you got to take time. Again, there's nothing you could actually do but to wait for the system. Because you can you cannot blab around. It's in media, it was written like that, but I didn't do it. And who will they believe? A write-up or what you say? And people can say, of course, you'll say you're innocent and everything. But at the end of the day, it's the legal system that has the final say. Right. They have to investigate, they have to finish their investigation, and they have to do the report. And then they will say, hey, this is the paper, so that's it. Then you, I, I feel happy and it's good, that's done. I do not wish for anyone to go through that. It's really hard. How yes. did you take care of yourself? I think you mentioned that, you know, you prayed to God, you know, what else did you do? During the tough times, you know, of the trial, you know, you're working through the petition and so, so forth. How did you take care of yourself? Talk to family because family loves you. So I talked to my dad, my mom, my brothers, and my core friends. You will always go back to your core. When faced at difficult times and you're being shot up character by character, so you will go back to people who really knows you. And yeah. they're the one who speak out for you because you cannot speak for yourself right. because you're being accused. So the one that will speak for you are your friends. I mean, the immediate family will even not speak for you because it's obvious. Yeah. But the friends you mingle with, the partnership with, the friends you spend time with. So it was good that I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people before it happened. And a lot of people know me for my behalf that they said, that's not the person. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't go out at night. I don't even party. You won't even see me in a partying place unless there's a special Christmas occasion or yeah. celebration of graduation or yeah. something. But I don't do those stuff. Yeah. My addiction is actually attending seminars. As long yeah. as there's seminars, I like attending them. I read books. So those are the stuff that I do and I play games. Yeah. Normally sit online and I'm in virtual stuff. So, you know, that's what I do. And people know me for it. So people who really know me, that's what I do. 
Yeah, and what's interesting is that, you know, it turns out the facts of the case were like, you were only CEO till 2019, the container intercept happened in 2021. But more importantly, it was a totally another company called Wealth Lotus that was a consignee of the shipment, right? So the company that you were the CEO of till 2019 wasn't even involved in this at all. To explain it, it's like, this is the company that processed the shipments. Right. And their job is to process whoever put goods in there. And this is Wealth Lotus. And this is where I was in the paper. And this is the one that put the bad item. We're supposed to process everyone. So first, clear item, furniture stuff, we process. Another item owned by other person, we process it. And then Wealth Lotus, we process it. But then, of course, it was triggered. But like I said, when they investigate it, they have to investigate everything. The processor... This one, yeah. everything, the source and everything. And I'm sure it's not just me. Some people are also included there that are innocent. I was just talking about my journey because I never know that. But then again, it's it's clear, it's, it's good. And that's the story. And then fast forward the year plus plus, when you finally found that they had ruled you to be innocent, they revoked the arrest warrant. You rem- remember where you were? I kind of get used to, I had the case and I feel like it's not going to be finished. But I have to continue living. So I didn't really, let's just say, I didn't follow up. So I just do my thing. Yeah. I study, I help what I can. And I wasn't even sentenced. It's not like I was found guilty. I was just being invited to explain. Yeah. But I couldn't because I'm doing something. So that's the main idea. I wasn't being sentenced. and I was just being asked to explain. But I didn't because I didn't want to. Because I feel like I don't need to. And it when it cleared, so it just surprised me also. Oh, I'm clear. That's good. It felt good. But I kind of didn't mind it. It's like hanging in my head. But I just get used to it because I cannot do anything. But I still have to move on and survive. So maybe I'm a fighter also in life on in what I should do. So I just do what I have to do. And then suddenly it was cleared. Good thing. Could you share about a time that you personally have been brave? Well, many things that I do in my life. I'm scared because I don't know. So you could say that I've been brave, but that's if you think of it, it's it's also dumb if you don't try stuff. So for example, I have an avenue, I'm going to make a platform and I don't know anything and I'm going to put resources there. And you can say you're brave, but sitting in the corner is dumb. And that's braver if you just sit in the corner and knowing that everything will be as is. Change is constant. So brave is when you know how hard it is or you know that you're going to put work on it and you have to still do it. To me, that's brave. And I'm brave because I got kids who depends on me. I got family who depends on me. I have a father and mother sometimes depend on me. So I have to be brave that I should move forward. I should be strong. I should be wiser for them. I should learn more things so I could tell my kids. I could tell my friends. I could tell people who are asking stuff what they don't know. Hopefully, I research it and I know it. So those are the stuff. And brave is like going to the unknown, but knowing that you can learn it. So I'd love to kind of like summarize the three big takeaways I got from this conversation to wrap things up. First of all, thank you so much for sharing about what was it like to grow up in your family, to be part of World Balance in terms of the factory, in terms of seeing your father and your family kind of make certain decisions about life and the lessons that you've learned from them over time. Secondly, thanks for talking about esports and how you went about building community. And I really loved it about how you need to have patience because it just takes time to build and it happens organically and you can't rush the process. Lastly, yes. thanks so much for sharing about the drug smuggling case and how you were cleared of all charges. But more importantly, I loved hearing about how you personally felt about it, how you discovered the news and what it did to take care of yourself, take care of your family and clear your name. So uh, thank you so much for sharing, Bernard. Thank you, Jeremy, for having me. Thank you for listening to Brave. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.